bought a new desk for the office this week, actually a used desk, new, new to us. Bought it off of the Facebook Marketplace and uh, had to go down to pick it up from the buyer in Dixon. Uh, so I uh, got the address and I put it into my GPS. GPS, I'm, you remember when GPS technology first came out for consumers? I remember my dad had a Garmin, put it in the car, and uh, you could drive around with that. And as long as you stayed on the highways, it did a pretty good job. And once, once you got off the highways, it was kind of hit and miss. But GPS technology and the mapping and the data, everything has gotten so much better now that pretty much uh, most of the time you enter in an address and it'll take you from your door to the door of the person that you're trying, trying to reach. Unless you're in Dixon. Dixon is apparently the dark side of the moon for GPS. There's so I got up early uh, Wednesday morning uh, and headed out to Dixon. And I've got, got it in my GPS. I'm following these instructions. And I'm doing well. I'm on schedule to arrive 10 minutes early, feeling good. And then Siri says, you have reached your destination. And there's nothing there. I mean nothing. No house, no structure, no not so much as a wide spot in the road. I had to drive another two miles to find a place where I could turn around and come back and look for it again. And after searching mindlessly for this thing that wasn't there, I finally reached out to the buyer, and she gave me directions for how to get to their business. And it was several miles from where I was, which is impressive considering that both addresses had to be in Dixon because that was entered into the search string. So they got me about as far away from the right spot while still being in the right town as possible. That is a disconcerting feeling, isn't it? When you have been relying on something, you think, oh, this is this, I have all the knowledge, all the information that I need, and then you get to that point, you go realize, I have been following the wrong information. The data is bad, it's, it's corrupted. When GPS works, it is a great tool, but in order for it to work, it has to understand where we want to go. When ancient, when ancient Israelites needed direction, they had the prophets. They don't always listen to the prophets. In fact, a good part of the time, they don't listen to the prophets. But when they needed direction and they were open to direction, they could look to the prophets to get it. And the work of the prophets is spiritual GPS. This is what they do. They tell you where you're going and how to get there. They do course correction. Most of the time, the prophets in the Old Testament note that the people have gone off course and they offer that course correction. They recalculate the journey for them. They call on the people to recalibrate back to a godly destination. And they do it a lot. 
because the people lose their way a lot. You know how when you, uh, when you get off course, and you, you plug in a destination and you, you make some extra turns or maybe pull into a gas station or a McDonald's and the, the GPS gets mad at you? Or starts correcting you? Recalculating, recalculating. Return to the route. That's when it gives up. This is, this, I don't know what you're doing. Just return to the route. And you're like, just, just give me a minute. Give me a minute. This is, this is, this is kind of what was happening. The people would leave God. They would leave the proper destination. They would get so far off, and the prophets would say, return to the root. Now, we may not have prophets in the same sense that Israel did, but ours is an age in desperate need of prophetic voices. And I don't necessarily mean voices that can tell the future, although when we look at some of the choices that are being made in our culture, just viewing the trajectory, it's not that difficult to predict where some of these things will end up. But I'm not so much talking about telling the future. Uh, it would be enough to have prophetic voices that simply tell the truth. Because we, as a culture, we have made an art form of self-centeredness, an art form of self-deception. We seek happiness from immorality. We embrace fantasy and delusion as truth. And we demand that everyone around us agree with our conclusions. And so, these days, when I am reading the news, there's a red flag going up in my brain saying, return to the root, return to the root. So far off course, so much deception. How valuable is it to have people that simply speak truth? And where is the church in this? Well, the church has been largely distracted by culture and tradition. And here's what I mean by that. A great many churches in our country are seeking relevance by mirroring the trends that they see in the culture. The culture adopts a new morality, and so the church comes alongside that new adopted morality and truths that have been true since the beginning of time suddenly are flexible. And we adapt ourselves to the culture, trying, trying to be relevant, trying to be accepted, trying to convince the culture that, hey, we're not as weird as you think we are. We're not so different. But if we're adapting the values and the morality of the culture in order to make our message more palatable, or at least softening, even sometimes dumbing down the message so that the more offensive bits don't make uh, headlines too often. If we're playing that game, it becomes very difficult to speak truth into culture, doesn't it? How do you speak truth into the culture while you're echoing the values of culture? But still more churches 
in our country are consumed with preserving their own experience of church. Maintain the look and the feel and the structure and the style and the ministries that they're familiar with and comfortable with from whatever time period they identify as the glory days of the church. Speaking truth to culture isn't particularly part of the agenda because it's all focused internally. How do we make sure this remains the place that we're comfortable with? And so if you, if you look at all the churches in this country, all the churches that maybe should be speaking truth into the culture, and you factor out all of those that are bowing to the culture in order to gain relevance, and all those that are caught up so much in the past that they're not even speaking to the culture presently, how many churches are left? If we really want to accomplish our purpose, it's time for the church to recalibrate. You see, the journey of the church has a very specific destination. Not a destination that we need to choose yet, but a destination that we already have. And our confusion about this is a source of great conflict in the church. We argue over what the destination should be. But the reality is we don't have that much latitude over what the destination of the church can be. It can't be about satisfying our membership, and it certainly can't be about satisfying the culture. Because the destination is somewhat non-negotiable. And this is why... personally, I'm somewhat ambivalent about the process of organizations coming up with mission statements. I know that the process itself can be useful. Having that conversation together can be useful. But the reality is, we're not choosing the mission. The mission is already established. We may choose how we pursue it. We may choose some of the details. But the, the mission is already there. It's not for us to invent. The author of Hebrews, after recounting all these great heroes of faith in chapter 11, says this at the beginning of chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is effectively our theme verse for the Read Jesus series. And there's a whole lot packed into these few phrases. But our initial focus, our focus this morning, is this. And this is mission principle Number one, Jesus is the source of the mission. We are running a race, according to Hebrews, we are running a race that has been marked out for us by the author, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. And so much of the time, the church is like a big family taking a family vacation 
where everybody thinks they can choose their own destination. And it just doesn't work that way. You can only plug one destination into the GPS. And that destination is going to come from the head of the household. And in this household, the head of the household is Jesus Christ. He sets the destination, and we go where he wants to take us. He is the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of that faith. And we're going to go on the journey that he lays out for us. If we aren't up for that, we're not really the church. Because that's really what it means to be the church. The people who are prepared to go wherever Jesus wants to take them. You say, but aren't all churches about Jesus? Well, are they? Let's come back to culture and tradition. The culture-focused church actually deconstructs Jesus to satisfy pagans. You can't follow Jesus and reinvent Jesus at the same time. Now, this practice ranges from sort of taming Jesus down to soften all the rough edges, make sure that we maybe, maybe don't spend as much time on those passages where he preaches things that are a little too controversial or a little too difficult, it ranges from that to really sort of reframing Jesus, to sort of remaking God in our own image, so that we can say that Jesus is actively endorsing whatever immoral choices I'm making. At best, this Jesus is too fragile to challenge us, a cheerleader for all of our personal ambitions. And at worst, He's actually a toothless endorsement of our immorality. All of this gets done, mind you, in the name of Jesus, but it certainly does not come from Jesus. Jesus is not the source of this doing. The tradition-focused church actually idolizes itself. It becomes its own purpose. It effectively rejects the mission of Jesus and inserts its own, and its own is that of preserving and perpetuating the church as we have known it. And even becoming deeply offended at the suggestion that we should reject what we've always done in favor of what Jesus wants us to do. And all this is still done with the vocabulary of following Jesus, we even believe, as we do these things, that our goal is Jesus. But the GPS says otherwise. Now, the mission-focused church needs Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what a twist. The answer to the question is Jesus. That's not what we expected the preacher to say today. And then you're thinking, where does he come up with this theological brilliance? Where does his, how does his mind go to these places? Remarkable, right? Jesus is the answer to the question. Well, he really is the answer to the question. The problem is he's the answer to a question that often the church isn't asking The church is filled with people 
who needed Jesus at some point in order to get their ticket punched and are now content and confident that they have Jesus and they're done. And consequently, Jesus isn't the source because we're not aware of any present need for Jesus. When we function this way, people don't grow in Jesus and congregations don't grow in Jesus. We've made a great many changes to this church. Changes in function, changes in ministry, changes in leadership, changes in priority. And there are honestly probably a lot more changes to come. All of that is intended to recalibrate us back to Jesus. Because the alternative might be familiar and it might be comfortable, but it's also broken. You say, how can you be so certain that what we need is to recalibrate back to Jesus? And even now, how could that be what we need right now? Well, let's just take an, an honest look for a minute at, at, at where we've been and sometimes where we are. If you have ever rejected a new and different ministry approach because it's new and different, you might need Jesus. If people seem shocked and disoriented when you make it to church on time, you might need Jesus. If you've ever practiced gossip as if it were your spiritual gift, you might need Jesus. If you believe that the spiritual health of the congregation can be measured by its furniture, you might need Jesus. If you think that the way we've always done it carries the same spiritual authority as the words of Jesus, if you have an active grudge against another church member for something that happened in another decade, you might need Jesus. If you've ever suggested that excluding unchurched kids from youth group is a good idea because they're too hard on the carpets, you might need Jesus. If you don't know the new members because they've only been attending for three years, might need Jesus. If missing work as much as you miss church would get you fired, you might need Jesus. If you've ever had money for Starbucks but not for the collection plate, if you've ever excused selfish behavior with the line, you have to love yourself before you'll be able to love others, you might need Jesus. If you won't miss a game for church, but you'll miss church for a game, you might need Jesus. If you choose not to participate in church ministry, thrive groups, Bible class, fellowship luncheons, men's ministry, women's ministry, or special events, and then complain that the church is neglecting you, 
Might need Jesus. If you think someone else here needs this sermon this morning, but you don't, you definitely need Jesus. And you might be saying, who do you think you are? I'll tell you exactly who I am. I'm another guy who needs Jesus. We can't be playing this game anymore. We can't be ashamed of it. We can't be pretending that we've got it all figured out or that we've got it worked out. I need Jesus. And one of the things that's absolutely certain this morning is that for the church to be what Jesus calls it to be, we cannot continue to dwell on ourselves, on the culture, or our tradition. Jesus is the source of the mission. And make no mistake, this is mission principle number two, the mission is the purpose of the church. It is the only reason we're here. You know what's not the purpose? Preserving religion as we have known it. What's not the purpose is satisfying the moral relativism of the culture. What's not the purpose of the church is making you or me comfortable with how we function. It's not the purpose of the church to keep the grumpiest members happy or to make faith entertaining for non-believers. And surprisingly enough, filling the room is not the mission. Nor is retaining our members at all costs. If you don't believe me, look at the ministry of Jesus. Because it's his mission, and then it's our mission. Jesus never built a fan base. He built a kingdom culture. To be the church is to be the recipient of and a participant in the mission. And there is no exaggeration this morning when I say that this mission is the only reason the church exists. It's not to meet our expectations. It's not to fill seats or flesh out budgets at the expense of truth or the expense of the purpose of Christ. Everyone here, missionally speaking, is supposed to be in the process of receiving and or perpetuating the mission of Jesus Christ. And what is this mysterious mission? Well, there's no mystery to it. Matthew 16, 24, and then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Mission principle number three, the mission of Jesus is making disciples. That's it. Not fans, not pew warmers, not even members, but disciples. And we can't reverse engineer this either. We can't start with who we are and what we're doing and say, this is what discipleship is, and just apply that as the new definition of disciple, because Jesus explains to us what disciples are. A disciple denies themselves. This is first. This is prerequisite to being a disciple. And so the church cannot be about self-service. It cannot be about self-satisfaction. It cannot be about selfish ambition and also be about the mission of Jesus. And 
next, the disciple takes up the cross, takes up the burden, takes up the mission of Jesus and follows him. I've chosen this morning to share with you only verses that you're already familiar with. That is by design. I want us all to understand that that we're not calling the church to some novel, crazy new thing. We're calling the church to what Christ has always called the church to. The message of Jesus is not exceptional, but it becomes exceptional in the church when we function without his mission. Matthew 28, Jesus says, Then and Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the mission of the church, to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And mission-focused church ministry will always be about some combination of going, making, baptizing, and teaching. Going where people are, meeting them where they are, seeing them and loving them the way that Jesus does. And baptizing or making disciples, making followers of Jesus who are growing to be like him and becoming equipped to help others grow to be like him. And baptizing them, initiating them into the life in which Jesus is Lord. Teaching them, nurturing one another in faith, educating, equipping, mentoring, and growing each other to actually serve Jesus Christ in his kingdom. Churches that become effective at discipleship generally grow. But the inverse is not necessarily true. You see, you can fill a room without making disciples. In fact, a lot of the biggest churches in this country have done exactly that. They've taught a false gospel, and they have people that worship that false gospel by the tens of thousands. And none of them are disciples of Jesus, sadly. church that appeals to culture without calling people to deny themselves and follow Jesus is not actually the church. The church that appeals to tradition at the expense of serving the mission is not actually the church. And as we set our course, we cannot serve self-interest. We cannot serve culture. We cannot serve tradition. We can only seek to serve Jesus and to plug him as the destination into the GPS. We recalibrate. And we recalibrate by fixing our eyes on Jesus. We don't, we don't start with what we know or what we have and try to attribute those to Jesus. We don't look to the world for answers that the world clearly does not have. We don't champion 
our traditions over the mission of Christ. And we don't make excuses for the things that we've allowed to distract us. We look to Jesus. And we cast aside every sin, every weight that hinders us so that fixing our eyes on Jesus, we can run the race that he's laid out before us.